The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Greetings from... uh the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation in Philadelphia. Thank you for the opportunity to be here on campus to speak to you this morning. And uh, this is uh, always a challenge, I'm sure, for anyone who speaks in these chapels. It's probably a good exercise, you know, trying to say what you need to say in about 15 minutes. And then when you graduate and you're in the pastorate, you you get an extra 15 or 20 minutes uh, to work it out. I'd I'd like to just... uh, call your attention to Acts 18 this morning. Uh, So turn to Acts 18. My uh, comments will be brief, but uh, I actually think um, that uh, Dennis and Julius ought to consider basing a course on this uh, particular text. I don't know if there is a course in the PT department or any course in the curriculum here, and never was when I was in seminary at Westminster, on dealing with failures and disappointments in ministry. You know, you're always equipped to be successful, but what about the disappointments and failures? And, and that's exactly where we find Paul in Acts 18. So let me uh, read this. I'll read through verse 22. We, uh, we find Paul at the end of his second missionary journey, and uh, I'll read it from Acts 18, verses 1 through 22. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads, your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household. His his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern, whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sailed to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea because of the vow he had taken. 
They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to, to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Uh, plenty of content in this passage. Let me just pray briefly as we, as we meditate upon it together. Let's pray. Father, uh, whenever your word is open, whenever it's read, whenever we try to explain it, apply it, whenever we try to see uh, the riches of your grace in a text, we're completely dependent upon you. And uh, whether it's a, a long exposition or short, we ask that your spirit would be present today, that uh, your spirit would apply the truths in this passage to our lives, our hearts, that uh, we would be comforted, that we would be encouraged, uh, that we would be helped. And we pray this simply and, and, and profoundly in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a few things here that you see in this passage. Uh, first of all, it, it comes through to some degree. Um, you're, you are bumping into Paul in Acts 18, end of his uh, second missionary journey, and he is really discouraged and uh, quite fearful. In fact, if you read uh, the letter to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul really shows his hand in terms of how he's feeling as he arrives in Corinth. He says, I came to you in weakness and, and fear and in much trembling. So Paul is distraught, he's disturbed, he's concerned, he's fearful. Um, and just consider what he's been through. Let, just let me uh, give you a litany of experiences. Um, in his first missionary journey that you read about in chapters 15 through 18 of Acts, uh, Paul and Barnabas are stoned in Lystra. Uh, on his second missionary journey, uh, he is flogged in Philippi. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. Along the way, Paul is dealing as well in this passage with Jewish agitators, people that are giving him a hard time for what he's preaching, particularly that Jesus Christ was uh, killed and then raised that resurrection piece uh, agitates them the most. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, who are brothers in Christ, experience conflict in their own relationships, and they part ways. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, reason for Paul to be discouraged. We also don't have a whole lot of information about the success of Paul's ministry in Athens. There's no record of a church being planted there. Uh, Athens was the intellectual center now he's moving to Corinth, and Corinth would probably be a lot like San Francisco. It's a cosmopolitan city, uh, or New York City, very large, very intimidating, uh, and uh, very, very uh, 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 promiscuous in, in people's behavior. So he's, he's going to Corinth, and he is experiencing uh, the difficulties and disappointments that are inevitable in ministry. Uh, just that in and of itself ought to be a lesson to all of us. Uh, we have a tendency to only think about the successes in ministry. We, we even oftentimes have uh, this, this inclination to think that it's only in the successes of ministry that God is at work. And yet we see here that God is profoundly at work in Paul's life in this, in this season of disappointment and fear. Um, when I don't, I don't know if 
the trees here lose their leaves ever? You have evergreens and a few. Okay, well, back on the East Coast where trees do what they're supposed to do, um, you know, in the, the fall as the leaves are falling off the trees, in the winter when you see no growth whatsoever on those trees, you have a, a tendency to think that the tree is not, not growing. But uh, in fact, if you know anything about uh, trees, it's in the winter that the, the roots of the tree are actually sinking deeper into the soil. So the tree is growing, though apparently it looks as if it's not. And why is it doing that? So that when the, the leaves begin to come back on the tree in the spring and in the summer, the tree is able to sustain the weight of that new growth. So God is very much at work in, in Paul's life here and uh, in this season of discouragement. Now, here's the second thing that we see here. In the midst of Paul's discouragement and, and disappointment, uh, he gets counseling. Now, you, you would anticipate me to say something like that, right? And it just so happens that Jesus is his counselor. Isn't that wonderful? Um, look, at, um, look at verses uh, 9 and 10. In the midst of the discouragement and the fear, Jesus appears to Paul and he counsels him. It says in verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And I want you to see what Jesus says. It's, it's striking and then at the same time quite commonplace. Um, he says uh, two things here. Uh, he, he's calling Paul. He commands Paul in those first two uh, Phrases. He says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, and do not be silent. Those are commands. So in the midst of, of Paul's discouragement, Jesus comes to him with a word of counsel, and he commands Paul, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. And then, of course, that command is, is rooted in some promises. Look, look at the promises there. All of God's commands are rooted in his promise, verse 10, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. It's, a, it's, it's interesting. Um, Jesus starts off with exhortation. Now, that's not, it's not an exhortation or confrontational in the way that we would think. If my child comes to me in the middle of the night and walks into my room and says, Daddy, I'm afraid, I'm scared of the dark, and I'm having bad dreams. I can say, do not be afraid, go back to your bed. Right? That's a command, right? Or I can do this. Go back to bed, my dear child. Don't be afraid. It's, it's a command. I've said the same thing. It's a command. But notice that the command comes within the context of a relationship. I am your father. You are my child. Do not be afraid. Go back to bed. All right? Jesus is speaking to Paul in that way. I am with you. You are my dear child. And, and I want you to not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Keep on doing what you're doing. In essence, lean into your fear as you, as you work through this season of difficulty and why? Because I am with you. I am, I am in this. And not only that, Paul, the very people that you're afraid of, many of these people are going to be your future brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I am at work. And not only am I at work in you, I am in, at work through you. And I'm, I'm at work at this very moment when you would tend to think that nothing is, is going on, nothing is happening. So Paul receives wonderful counsel from Jesus. And the temptation, I think, when you read this passage would be to say this. Well, you know, if Jesus showed up to me in a vision when I was fearful and afraid, I'd, I'd get over it pretty quickly too. But notice what Jesus tells Paul. You would think that if, if Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus is going to give Paul this radical new kind of revelation that would completely alter Paul in this moment of difficulty. But what does Jesus do? He utters words that we read all throughout the Bible. I am your God, you are my people, fear not, for I am with you. Yet Jesus doesn't come up with some new revelation. He simply reminds him of what? The gospel that is, that is unfolding from Genesis to Revelation. It is, it is my grace and my relationship with you because of what I've done for you. You are my child. You belong to me. And I am with you, I am going to use you, and even in death, even in death, I will be there, I will be with you. So Paul's encouragement and, and counsel that he gets from Jesus is counsel that is quite normal, but from a Christian point of view, it's absolutely astounding. I mean, what other, what other counsel, what other theory has the ability to speak in this way. I am with you. You are my child. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. That's, that's radical. That's the good news of the gospel. And that is what Jesus is saying to you and me today. No matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the discouragement might be, the disappointment that you're facing, my dear child, because of what I've done for you, in my life, death, and resurrection, my ascension, my current intercession in your behalf, and my promised return, I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on persevering and pressing forward as you encounter whatever you're encountering. And then, as if that weren't enough, just finally, um, while there's much in this passage to talk about, and many interesting verses, in fact, the, the cutting of the hair and and other uh, things of that nature. This poor fellow, Sosthenes, you know, what, what, what was the cause of him being the brunt of uh, the, uh, the Jews' anger? I don't know. Um, but look what else is going on. Paul's discouraged. Jesus comes along and counsels him with this wonderful good news of the gospel. And then look, look what's happening in addition to that. And this is, this is helpful to see because oftentimes... If you're in a ministry situation and you're experiencing difficulty or disappointment, the tendency is to fail to see anything and everything else that God is doing. And, it, and yet, as you read this passage, and I'll just highlight them, God is, is tremendously at work. Uh, verse 2, we learn about Priscilla and Aquila. They were forced from Rome, forced out of Rome, but connected with Paul and became very close as they worked together in Corinth. So Paul enjoys the, the blessing of Priscilla and Aquila's presence. Silas and Timothy in verse 5 bring financial help from Philippi. Um, 
And then you see in verses 7 and 8, the Jews and Gentiles, yes, they are indeed being converted. Not all of them, but, but they are being converted. In verses 12 through 17, it's interesting that God even uses the civil authorities to restrain persecution against Paul. The Jews wanted to bring some charge against him. God uses the unbelieving pagan civil authorities in his common grace to restrain these Jewish agitators from preventing Paul from, from doing his work. So God is at work at that level. Um, and then you see at the end of the chapter, God is indeed, in fact, raising up leaders like Apollos in the future to teach and train and equip, uh, equip the flock and to continue to teach and, and raise up people to uh, further the work of the gospel. Uh, there, there are incredible things going on around Paul. And, and when, when we're experiencing difficulty and discouragement, we want, we want to, by God's grace, move outward from our own navel-gazing and, and personal disappointments. And we want to say, God, what are you up to? Not only in me and through me, but what are you up to around me? Where do I see marks of the Spirit's work in people's lives and in situations that may not necessarily include me, but are a part of your great redemptive work in this world? Acts 18, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your, your kindness and your grace, and we're grateful for that. And we're, we're grateful for your power and your glory and your might. And we, we give thanks today as, as humble, weak, fearful people like Paul that we can hear you saying to us through your word very clearly, My dear children, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Keep on doing what you're doing. Do not be silent. I am at work in you, through you, and around you. Would you encourage us this morning as we reflect in this place at Westminster Seminary on the work of ministry and what you're calling us to do for Jesus' sake. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.